less than 10 days away from the trade deadline. And I'm looking at Warriors Twitter yesterday and in Dub Nation, and the talk is Jared Vanderbilt. A name that, you know, has been floating around and connected to the Warriors for a while. Really just a guy that's been kind of presumably on the block since the big go bear trade when you looked at this Utah roster and everybody's like, all right, well, you know, who 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 can we get off these guys if they're going to tank? Um, Malik Beasley, Vanderbilt, apparently Clarkson is untouchable. I don't know about that. We're here to talk about Jarrett Vanderbilt and the case for why the Warriors would be interested. I guess the rumor in the last 48 hours has been that it's going to cost a first round pick for either him or Malik Beasley. Some people feel like Malik Beasley and Vanderbilt, it's a package deal. Someone's going to get both of them. That may be a little too rich for the Warriors' taste as far as roster slots go and just it feasibly being possible, right? But Vanderbilt, look, 23 years old, but this is his sixth season in the league. He came into the league at 18, 19, so he's a young veteran, another one of these Kentucky guys who was kind of buried on Kyle Parry's bench. So he was a second round pick. He's six foot nine, about 220 pounds, but he's got a seven foot one wingspan. So he's an athletic guy with a high motor, right? Um, I think the first thing that you have to talk about is the spacing and the shooting, right? He's, he's kind of a dunker spot guy. He shoots the corner three at 34% about one attempt per game, only corner threes, right? P.J. Tucker style. When you look at the shot, I wouldn't call it broken. I think that it's a high release and he's usually shot ready and ready to shoot in that corner. I think that it's a very rhythmic reliant shot, right? He, 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 he tends to break rhythm if he's missing it. It's not like a mechanical where the elbow flares or something like that, right? He's very reliant on the rhythm of his dip. And so I think he prefers to kind of bounce into it, even though that's not how you really shoot a corner shot. But like if he catches it, if it's if the pass isn't on target and he's got to bring it to his pocket and kind of toe tap, again, he's not good at finding a rhythm with the shot. It's kind of got to be a good pass for him to knock it down. At least that's what I'm seeing. I went through and looked at, you know, his three attempts, his threes attempted with Utah this year. But by no means is it broken. I think that it it, it it's serviceable enough my question would be is, I think you saw that in that Minnesota-Memphis series last year in the playoffs, is the confidence there to take it when you need him to take it, right? And that was the big thing with GP2, who I think similar shooting caliber players, right? Not shooters, but can make the shot in the corner. And that was the thing about GP2. Not only was he confident enough to take that corner three when it mattered, with the spotlight on him, and he made it, right? GP2 was clutch, and so I think that that would be my concern with him taking that shot. Yeah, I think regular season on a Tuesday night, sure, he'll take it and he'll make a good amount of them, or enough of them, I should say, but come playoff time, does he freeze up and pass those those corner threes away and, and suck up that spacing? I'm not saying that he will, but I'm not saying that he won't either. That would be my concern with his shooting. That also translates to the foul line right? A career 62% free throw shooter. Okay, fine. You know, whatever the, the, what, why I point out it, that out is, can you have them out there late? The Warriors have been in so many late game situations. You just saw one the other night in Oklahoma city, right? Where you got to have free throw shooters on the floor and you want him out there for his rebounding, his motor, his size, pretty good passer and everything. But 
62% could you can he be on the floor late in games? So those are the two issues with the shooting. The biggest positives as far as fitting into this Warriors team is, listen, the obvious one is the rebound. He is a menace on the offensive glass, right? One of the best offensive rebounder, 50-50 guys in the league. And you know what offensive rebounds translate to? Open three-point attempts. And so you could see a game where he has four or five offensive rebounds and it leads to three three-pointers. You know, I think that that's where his value is. He's also a smart, switchable defender. He can he can be put in pick and roll coverage. You can switch him out on the perimeter. Now, he's not necessarily a shot blocker, despite the seven foot one wingspan. But maybe more importantly in today's game, he's a shot contester. He can make long closeouts. He contests the perimeter well as a power forward. And so, again, you could make the argument that at times that's more valuable the way the game's being played, right? Um, knows his role, right? He knows he's not a guy that's going to get overambitious. In fact, he's a guy sometimes you probably wish would be a little more ambitious offensively. Stick him in that dunker spot, pogo stick. He will finish there. I don't... I, Lob threat, I don't know if I'd necessarily throw that out there, but he's fully capable of rolling and giving you a little bit of vertical spacing. Um, but here's the deal, man. So I, I think in the regular season, yeah, he fits the bill. And then you also heard people kind of speculating, well, where does he fit into this rotation? Because it kind of sounds like the Kaminga role. And I think you're right. I think therein lies the issue. And then also you throw in Anthony Lamb. Right. Because someone that, that what generated this video was someone asking me how I felt about Vanderbilt in, in, in this rotation. And in my response initially was I wouldn't be surprised if internally the Warriors kind of felt like, well, we like Lamb just as much as Vanderbilt at the four spot, not the rebounder, not the defender, but the shooter. He, he kind of has similar intangibles. Um so I, I don't know, obviously, it's just hypothetically speaking. But yeah, it does kind of create a long jam. Again, I think to finish out this regular season, he would be very effective and just add some depth to the front court and he'd fit right in, runs the floor. He would flourish with the pace that the Warriors play. There's no doubt about it. But ultimately, here's the thing. He doesn't solve the size issue. He's six foot nine, 215, 220 pounds. He's not a true big. Right, he does. He fits right into the Kamingo Wiggins. He's another big wing defender. I guess he could guard up a little bit. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, the Warriors never really do play a big. They won the championship last year without a big. Fine, I understand that. But let's let's look at the West here. I'll throw out the names of potential matchups and playoff series. Starting with Jokic. Obvious back-to-back -back MVP, right? Like, can't put him on Jokic. I mean, I, I guess in a, in a jam, you could, right? Not ideally. DeAndre Ayton. Might be able to guard Ayton, right? Ayton's kind of soft. He doesn't really use his size. Okay, fine. Steven Adams. You say, well, sometimes he gets played off the floor. He's, he's a rebounding menace. Like, if you go look at the stats in that series, there's games where he has 15, 20 rebounds. You don't want him matching up on a man that size. A new entry to this conversation this year in the West, Sabonis. And Sabonis is one of the more physical bigs in the league. He's not a seven-footer, right, in size, but he plays like one in the sense of how physical he is and how strong he is with his back to the basket. Even Draymond has had trouble kind of just containing his physicality, so not a favorable matchup there, right? Are the Lakers going to creep in? Now you've got to add Anthony Davis to that conversation. Pelicans, Valanchunas, 
Again, a guy too big. And then these Timberwolves, who knows what they're going to do and where they're going to end up, but there's two seven-footers there um, that would be an issue where he couldn't match up. And so you see where I'm going here with this. I think that long-term and big picture, yes, he fits in. I think another positive is he has got one more year on a $4 million contract. He is a guy that potentially you could retain for the long term, right? Whereas let's take Malik Beasley, his teammate now, you bring him in, he's probably not obtainable. The market for a third guard that shoots the three that prolifically, he's probably going to price himself out moving forward. Vanderbilt, he could fit in. He could be a long-term solution, but it's still not the solution to adding real rim protection and size for specific matchups. I'm not talking about a night-to-night basis the regular season. But these playoff matchups, you know how they go and how the chess pieces move. And there are just too many centers in the league to show up in the playoffs without a true big man, in my opinion, right? And I didn't even go to the East. Let's say somehow small ball wins out. We get out of the West. Who are we going to guard and bead with? Giannis. Uh, uh, I'm thinking uh, there's, there's, you know, Bam. I guess Draymond can match up with Bam, but you see my point. And so, yes, I like Jared Vanderbilt. What would the cost be? I think a lottery-protected first-round pick would be a a fair value trade. When you look at his age, he's still 23 years old. And if you were to be drafting, let's say, with an 18th pick coming up here and you got Jared Vanderbilt, that'd be fair value, right? Moody could could match the contract, Um but again, the the war, what will what will the market suggest? And, and is a team going to offer more in a combination deal with Beasley and somebody else, and then we miss out on it? So look, I'm not against the move. I'm just not sure it solves the ultimate issue of size. It it adds some depth, some protection. Kaminga, we know the fouls can be a problem. He gets out of the lineup, or just maybe shielding Draymond from too many minutes, but. Uh, I think that when you look at, at the grand scheme of things, at least for this season, it may be a less sexy move, but to get a Plumley or a, or a, a, a Pirtle, a guy that's a true big for those matchups would help more in the now. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was I, I was talking about Bob Myers the other day and uh, his talent evaluation. And someone in the comments was like, nah, man, he he's an elite a talent evaluator. And he brought up some of the some of the things that he'd done. Well, and I, and initially I'm like, I, I could bring up things that he also did. Uh, Jacob Evans, uh, uh, Smiley Geach, right? And I was thinking of these, uh, these other names that missed over the dynasty run. But then it, it, what it did was it brought up in my mind, you read between the lines and you hear about the, the Lakeb relationship right now and how hands-on he, we, we, we all assumed he had been, but I think it's been clarified lately. Like, yo, Lakeb is really, hands-on with the development process and the draft process. How many of those picks were even Bob's, right? So I think it's fair to kind of shoot him some bail on some of these whiffs over the years. And when you consider that, it probably wasn't his pick, right? What do y'all think? Is there any other name? Someone else brought up an interesting name, Rashawn Holmes in Sacramento, who really has just fallen off the face of the earth. When I think Rashawn Holmes... I think that little push shot, right? And he's kind of undersized too, but he's bigger. He's more physical. I think he can guard up and guard. You could put him on some bigger guys. Now, would Sacramento and Golden State even deal with each other, being in the same division and now both of them being competitive? But he would be a guy, and then you send Wiseman to Sacramento. He shows up next year looking like David Robinson. Ooh-wee, that would hurt. 
I don't know. I don't know. I think we've all we've all been toying with the trade machine for so long now that we've all ran through all the names. Now, the other name that's been connected to the Warriors for a while now is Alex Caruso, right? Big fan. He, he's just he's a game changer, right? He impacts the game every night without scoring. Um, two first round picks. The, the, the asking price for these players is getting wild right now, right? And I don't think I don't know if we're going to lead to a, it's going to lead to a stalemate or if someone's going to reestablish the market post go bear trade. I thought the Hachi more, I, I don't know what it is, but that's a, that's a high price for Caruso who I love, but I would say hypothetically, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want to give you guys a little bit of spice at the end of this video. If they were to do some sort of Wiseman and picks deal to bring in Alex Caruso, not, I, not only would I think that he would, eat up because someone asked would he take lamb's minutes yeah for sure i also think he would take some of jordan Poole's minutes like this has been a, a topic of discussion all season long and i the clamp bros i talked about the closing lineups caruso would automatically become another guy that you you would assume in fact i i would more than assume i know kerr wouldn't mind having out, he would put him in closing lineups. There would be nights where Caruso was in the closing lineup with the core three, and then you can pick the fifth guy, but it probably wouldn't be Jordan Poole, right? He would eat some of Poole's minutes. And I also think that this offseason, once Poole is not on his poison pill deal, his new contract rolls over, it would possibly make him expendable, right? In the In the sense of, what they did with D'Lo. Not the same circumstances, right? But I think that there was a part of the pool deal was just retaining that, that asset. It's going to be a big contract, but it's ours to do what we want with, right? And, you know, hey, offseason comes up or, you know, or whoever it is, could he be moved to retain Caruso and DiVincenzo long-term? Now I'm getting way ahead of myself, but hey, I wanted to give you all a little something spicy. As always, Hit that like, share, and subscribe. I'm out, y'all. All right. Let's rant about it. Let's rant about it. Another disgusting loss from this Warriors team blowing a large fourth quarter lead against the Wolves last night. D-Lo revenge game, right? Nas Reed looked good though, didn't he? He's he gonna be worth about four first round picks after that performance. That was he looked good out there. The Wolves went small. I had a feeling when they said Rudy was out, I was like, that's probably gonna end up biting us in the butt. Just playing small and in the I wouldn't call it the Ewing effect exactly, but I thought that it would open things up for Minnesota and, and probably help them in the matchup because we tend to exploit Rudy every time we see him. It doesn't matter what uniform he's wearing, but uh yeah, man. I mean, it was just, I tweeted out after the game. I was like, you know, Steph, his shooting has really masked the fact that he hasn't played well since he returned from the shoulder injury. And, you know, he's been low key inefficient for himself, you know, but again, the shooting has, has, has kind of cured or, or hidden that fact. And it's, it's just a lack of engagement, a lack of focus. We know the, the careless turnovers, helping off the strong side corner defensively, just a lot of mental lapses from Steph. I think he's having a hard time dialing in and focusing. And we keep hearing the flip the switch term, uh, urgency, all these things from these guys, they're spewing it, but then we don't see it on the court. I thought, 
I thought that Steph was flipping the switch. When was it? It was that final home game before this road trip against Toronto. And it wasn't till that fourth quarter. You notice he got a little spicy. He started shimmying and he was, what I thought he was doing was he was trying to fire himself up and, and, and trick himself into acting like this was important for him. And, and locking in and, and they, you know, they'd won three in a row here. And so I know some people are going to say, well, this is a, a knee jerk reaction. But within the context, even of these three wins, even late in Oklahoma City the other night, it was like, dude, what are you that over that over the head pass late to Clay when Dre, I, there was all these little things that was like, dude, that could have bit us in the butt as well. You know, and it's, you know, when you were in school and you're learning science, you're learning chemistry, right? The periodic table. And you realize you add this element, you add this element, and it makes a potion, right? And you change one little element, and it changes the entire potion, right? You have to have the right ingredients to have the right chemistry. And I think that ultimately, you know, what happened, Draymond, Jordan, that element altered the potion in the chemistry of this team. And then you combined it with the fact that they pay Poole, they pay Wiggins, they don't pay Draymond. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying I think that that altered the chemistry of this team. And it only takes, again, one little element to be off to ruin all the chemistry. And so now the Warriors sit here with just too many agendas. I think there's too many agendas for them to be connected. And when you think about Warrior basketball and that beautiful ball movement and the pace they play at, it has to be connected in order for it to work. You know, it's, listen, there's going to be turnovers. That's systemic. The way they push the pace. I, I'm sitting here with my Niners, Beanie. It's a rough week for the Niners. And I, I will say this, that the Warriors turnovers are systemic, just like the Niners' injuries are systemic. Kyle Shanahan's scheme puts his quarterbacks at risk. I don't want to hear anything else about it. I digress. This isn't a football channel. But yes, there will be turnovers. But the reason I think we're seeing such poor late game execution is, again, they're not connected to play the way that they need to play. And it starts probably with that incident and then the contracts and all these questions around the team. It's impossible for them to be connected. You've got Poole trying to prove his value and, and, and become a star in this league. Clay, while he has played very well, let's be honest, Clay's playing for Clay. Clay wants to eat. Clay's doing what he's doing, right? And then is there this element of Steph? I feel like Steph is almost going through like a midlife crisis basketball wise, where he's trying to show the young boys in this next generation coming up, like, I could do that too. I could, I could watch this. Cause, cause let's be honest, listen. Don't don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. Steph is one of the most special athletes and basketball players ever. Changed the game. We know that. I don't got to go into the detail of that. But the truth is, now that he's changed the game and you look around the league, everybody kind of does what Steph does. Not to his level, right? But guys hit seven, eight threes a night. Like everybody's playing in that style. And it almost feels like Steph in his older age is kind of like, nah, like, all right, I can ISO, I can do this stuff. Like, and he's kind of getting caught up in playing that way again, because they're not connected. Dray Draymond's got to wear, you know, I think Draymond's been all right on the court, but he, for his own, we know why, has, has uh, taken away his voice and connection. And so there's just all these different things getting pushed and pulled in different ways. And that's why late game execution, I think that's a big part of it. Now, a lot, a lot of people are saying, oh, 
Kerr is only using an eight-man rotation. He's only using an eight-man rotation. I think it's affected Draymond. I think that Draymond is wearing the brunt of that fatigue, just trying to make up for mistakes and, and, and being the only big, right? But as far as Steph goes, and listen, I, I don't it, it, it's it's too early to say this. We'd have to see the rest of this 30 games play out of this season, right? But when you talk about father time creeping in, is it that he's such a good shooter? that we're not quite seeing it, right? Like, to me, if you watch, he's getting off balance a little more. He's he's finishing weird with these two-footed floaters. And it's still effective because he's still making shots because he's a God-tier shooter. But as far as father time creeping in, does Steph have to adjust his game a little bit moving forward? Because... Outside of yes, being the greatest shooter of all time, what is the what is what do you think of Steph and his style of play? What what's the next ingredient or element of Steph's play? It's his movement, right? It's when you track him, it's it's the track meet, it's the stamina, the conditioning. It's well documented. But now, about to be 35 years old here in March, can he play at that pace as he ages and still be as efficient? I'm not saying he can't. I'm just proposing that question. Now, the other issue is the fouls, the fouls, the fouls. And in these young guys, I think that that is a symptom of not having size and rim protection. Because what you look at, and it's like we want to protect Steph. He, he almost fouls of that out of that game. But the 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 concept defensively is everybody has to overhelp down to the nail and, and overhelp in the paint because they're they're gang rebounding and they're making up for their lack of size. But what does that do? It creates all these long closeouts, and that in turn is why all the foul issues. I think that's the root of it. Now, some of it is just young guys being undisciplined. Kaminga gets handsy. You saw him do that last night. But overall, you see them have to make all these long closeouts because there's no one behind behind them protecting the rim, right? And and that's just all these things. And so I say all that to say, man, like I, I just, I feel like they need to shake something up here. And I know a lot of you are going to say, when do the Warriors make trades at the deadline and what could they possibly do? But I, I get back to that chemistry talk and changing one element. And that's where I think even if it's a guy that's just, it's a marginal move, a Mason Plumley, right? But you change one element and it just fixes how they can uh, approach things. I, I don't have the answer to who that is. Hell, Dawes Reed looked really good last night. I don't, I, I don't know what that element is, but I, I really do think that they're in need of a move here. Otherwise, this thing could end ugly this season. I know it's like relaxed. They're all jumbled up here, but like, I, it, it just doesn't feel good. Even in, even in victory, it feels like they're not playing that well, right? And so I don't have an answer for it. And Steph, you know, my other theory was kind of like, well, what if he he it's not he's not showing signs of age necessarily physically, but it's almost like mentally he he's having a hard time engaging and follow me here. Maybe I, I might lose you and this may just be too too far off in left field, but it's like it's almost as if Steph playing winning ball is no longer can't it's no longer the number one motivating factor. He's done all that. He's conquered the league and he, he has nothing left to prove, right? We understand that. And so it's almost as if like he's got to find another reason to dial in and he's struggling doing that. I'll leave you with this. You heard Steph say, yeah, man, if we could have just closed out some of these games and not blown these leads, the narrative around the team would be completely different if we had four or five more wins, right? 
I think that right now they're in a worse spot than it even appears, you know, because of the jumbled up standings and that even in victory, when's the last time it felt like they were like clicking and it was like, oh, here they come. And it, and it was, and they just, they just ran over a team. Nothing has come easy this year. Right. And that's what's concerning. And then the, the, the line in the sand with the young guys and the vets and this push and pull, the vets saying, hey, we still got it. You see, there was all this hero ball last night between Steph and Clay. And I think an element of that is like, hey, it's still our team. We're still we, we still got it. And they're trying to like, again, midlife crisis, trying to show the league and pool as well. And some of the some of the young guys like, hey, this is we could do this. I could do this. And so the, the, the chemistry is off. There's, there's not enough size, and I don't see it getting any better unless there's a trade. All right, my rant's over. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I'll be back with another one soon. Hit that like, share, and subscribe. I'm out, y'all. All right, as you can see, I wasn't planning for no video today. I was going to wash the hair. But then this Kyrie news hits. Man, and uh, this is just, my first thought was, I told you, Katie, I told you when he left, I was like, bro, this was the wrong decision to hitch your wagon to this dude. And, you know, who, who we can speculate all day about what's going on behind the scenes with Joe Psy, the, the controversial movie. Oh, there's just been... It, there's a laundry list of reasons why he would want to move on. and it, But it did appear for a, a bit of time here with, with Vaughn as the coach and when KD was healthy, like, okay, here they come. This is what they should be, right? Even Ben Simmons was shooting the ball every now and then. And so everybody immediately looks at the Lakers because I think that it's really one of the few teams where it only, it, it makes sense because you have the infrastructure, you have LeBron, you know that it's worked in the past, right? And he kind of, the or it's one of the few brands in the league, in, in, in teams and cities where he kind of has to fall in line, even though we know Kyrie doesn't fall in line. But do, do you know what I'm saying, right? Like he, there, there's an established pecking order and there's, there's guys there where uh, it, it would make sense and it could put them over the top, right? But you look at the other team, Dallas, I know they're desperate to get Lucas some help. That they, They'd be out of their minds to pair Kyrie with Luka. Because one, it doesn't put you over the top. You, you, you trade for him now, you're not going to win the title this year. You're not going to come out of the West, right? And then you have to deal with trying to retain him and perhaps the toxicity that he would bring to the organization in, in Luka. I think Dallas would be out of their mind to make that move. And uh, I guess the third team would be the Phoenix Suns. And they're somewhere in between. Where Dallas, I think like, nah, you can't do it. The Lakers, it does make sense where they sit right now. Phoenix is in between. Now, I don't understand why Brooklyn would want Chris Paul to say, oh, Chris Paul for it. That doesn't make sense. It, 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 I don't think he fits that roster at all. Um, could it be an Aiton move? I don't know how you get it done and how many picks would be involved, but it does make sense in this for the fact that it could possibly put them over the top if they don't give up too much. However, I'm not sure long-term he and Devin Booker are a fit. And I'm sure that they're cool, right? And they know each other, but they seem kind of like polar opposites, 
personality-wise. So I don't know what that is. And so it's just a huge shakeup here. Not, a, it, not that it's happened yet, but he controls all the leverage. The timing of it is perfect. Now he's got, you know, kind of the gun to their head. Like, all right, seven days or I'm walking in the summer. And so what it does is it probably lowers the asking price because of the timing of this. But let's bring this back to the Warriors, right? You say, well, how does this affect the Warriors? Hey, Clay for Kyrie straight up. Who says no? I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. I don't want him anywhere near this roster that's already seeming so toxic. I think if you're a Warriors fan, the question is, what about KD? What about KD? Okay, so Brooklyn, y'all going to blow it up, right? Come back home. The grass isn't always greener, Kevin. And I mean, that would be the splashy move to go back all in with the veterans, right? Now, I was in the trade machine already like everybody, and I was like, all right, Wiggins, Kaminga, and Wiseman, it, it says that that would work. But however, as one of my patrons quickly reminded me, Wiggins and Ben Simmons cannot be on the same team because of some weird rule of rookie extension max deals. So Wiggins couldn't be in the deal. Right? Is it, would they want? I, who knows what you'd have to give up? It'd be the kitten caboodle for Durant, but it would be one last all-in step from this core and the reuniting of the Slim Reaper in the Bay Area. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it because I think right now where the Warriors sit, you could just as easily make the argument: Hey, blow it up! Let's just step all two feet into the youth because we're not good enough, and the core is not going to get any younger. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I think that this, this really just shuffles the trade deadline and the outlook because also I think there's an arms race out west with all the parity. And so you're hearing, oh, well, Phoenix wants to keep him from the Lakers and Dallas wants to keep him from Phoenix. And then does Memphis step in? Who knows, man? But uh, exciting times. I'll be back as these trades unfold. Let me, let, Warrior fans, let, let me know right now, though, if you had to choose a direction, because right now I think we're all tired of straddling the fence with these two timelines, what do you do? Do you go get veteran help, not necessarily Kevin Durant, but you you give these core guys another year or two and say, all right, all in, we'll just have to rebuild when we build, we'll tra trade all the young chips. Or is it like, yo man, it, 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 the time is up, M better be early than late and let's just start with the youth now. Let me know in the comments, hit that like, share and subscribe. I'm out y'all.